Hello and welcome to the Data for Subscriptions podcast, where we focus on everything related to subscription and as a service businesses. I'm your host, Bielad Bonian, and I have the pleasure of welcoming Andrea Belzaro, who leads the Connected Services portfolio at Alpha Laval to the show. Andrea, welcome. Thank you so much, Bedal. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here today. Great to have you here. Before we get into the meat of today's sessions, why don't we start with you uh, presenting yourself? What do you do at Alpha Laval? Yeah, so I'm uh, responsible for uh, Connected Services, which is uh, a portfolio of a solution where data and IoT uh, is the foundation. Um, and uh, it's a portfolio where we basically try uh, to offer to our customer new solution uh, where uh, uh, we have a subscription-based model. And my focus, of course, is within uh, the uh, field of uh, separation. So uh, I'm responsible for Connected Services within uh, business unit decanters in food and water. Right, gotcha. So in specific, what you're driving is a transformation between, let's say, traditional one-time sales towards a subscription-based model. What is the primary objective through this transformation now? Yeah, so I would say to summarize uh, is the capability to create a new business enabler uh, that uh, will give us the opportunity to generate uh, more business uh, in the medium to long term. Of course, data is at the center of this transformation. Can you talk about how you leverage data, specifically customer and user data to support this transformation? Yes, of course. Uh, so, uh, first of all, uh, technically speaking, uh, we simply connect uh, uh, our uh, equipment uh, with uh, a, a very simple device uh, that will uh, collect the data that then will be either visualized through a platform or uh, uh, simply analyzed by dedicated algorithm uh, or uh, um, uh, intelligence. Um, and then, of course, what we do, uh, which is the key value added uh, on top, uh, is that we translate uh, our separation know-how uh, into this uh, model or algorithm or a solution that can solve either a customer issue or provide a specific answer to a customer demand. Right. And you kind of entered my next question, really, which is, what is the value for the customer? Because obviously, for Alpha Laval, who have been doing successful business for so many years, there is a, an innate value for the decanters. Now, as you articulate the value for the customers to move from traditional to subscription-based, what is the core of that value for, for the Why should I? If I ask you the question like that, that's a that's a very good question, actually. Um, so first of all, uh, if you look upon the portfolio and the way that is built, uh, which is composed on a couple of uh, solution, uh, at the moment, uh, what we offer is uh, the um, OEM closeness. Uh, so mm -hmm. basically, the separation intelligence uh, or the support to a customer becomes uh, one click away. So uh, the lead time needed to get uh, up and running again at the counter, uh, it dramatically uh, reduced uh, um, compared to having uh, a field service engineer going on site, uh, for example. Uh, then depending on the business model, uh, we could be able to offer a more uh, predictable OPEX, uh, mm -hmm. which is, of course, uh, very important for uh, every customer. Uh, and then uh, if you look across the entire portfolio, what we would be able uh, to offer is uh, basically uh, 
uptime, yield, uh, and uh, I would say overall peace of mind uh, for uh, the equipment. Can you take one of your solutions, just apply that logic now and talk us through basically end-to-end? So I get this as a customer and based on what you just explained, such as fast and time to value, uh, predictability of OPEX and so on, and just run us through that solution? Yes, of course. So uh, one of the solutions that we have uh, uh, is uh, a condition monitoring system uh, that uh, through the help of uh, uh, a dedicated hardware uh, basically will be uh, capable to analyze if there is any specific trend uh, in vibrational speed um, happening in the uh, component uh, the components monitored. And then basically uh, we would be able to understand if there is something pointing towards the wrong direction and uh, potentially a uh, failure in the near future. In this case, uh, what the customer is buying into uh, is the peace of mind part, uh, absolutely, uh, and uh, the uh, uptime, because uh, if we would be able to predict that that something will happen in the near future and advise the customer uh, proactively, uh, they could be able to uh, stop the machine up front, uh, do the needed maintenance, and then be up and running again in no time, uh, having faced any uh, consequence of a big failure uh, and this, of course, have uh, an enormous impact uh, when it comes to uh, the uh, savings uh, on the uh, potential cost generated uh, due to the downtime, uh, but as well at uh, the time uh, to have the machine up and running again. Considering, uh, as well as an important aspect for some of our customers, uh, the fact that they would be able to not lose a lot of uh, raw material. Uh, so the loss of production becomes uh, minimal in that extent. Would you say that there is any real appealing value for a customer that's to still retain a traditional, I want to buy everything, own it, and run the responsibility of it compared to what you just explained in terms of pay for what you consume? I think it really depends, uh, and maybe this is just my... um, personal opinion, but it depends on the customer that you are dealing with, because you might have a big conglomerate that uh, is uh, geared up to uh, run everything on their own. So they tend to land on uh, a, the, the maintenance activity, trying simply to buy, uh, I don't know, um, spare parts. Uh, and do the rest of the activities on their own, or you have a small uh, company, which is uh, a family-owned business, uh, which they would prefer to have the OEM coming in the picture. So overall, I would say that uh, the beauty of uh, this uh, solution is the fact that uh, the OEM know-how is something that is always close to the customer and is continuously evolving and uh, at disposal of the customer. While if you buy something, uh, then, of course, I mean, uh, you get uh, uh, the the value along the way, uh, but uh, then it would be your own responsibility uh, of securing that this uh, becomes uh, uh, usable for the lifetime of the equipment that, that you own. And how do you market your new connected services and as a service offerings to the market? Is it primarily through your install base or going after new customers or maybe a combination? I would say that, uh, first of all, uh, we are talking about, uh, as we said in the beginning, a totally shift uh, in uh, the uh, business per se, because uh, we don't look after a transactional business, uh, but we hope to establish a long-term relationship with, uh, with the customer through a subscription-based model. 
yeah. but then of course we would be able to uh, attract uh, uh, both the customers that are buying for the first time the equipment or as well as serve our installed base so yes i think we can definitely say that we can serve whatever customer uh, that has uh, or is interested to get an alpha laval machine so let's come back to the value for money conversation we just had a few minutes ago because value-based pricing or outcome-based pricing is obviously something many want to achieve but it's quite difficult and one of the challenges that i perceived in my conversations with different customers is how do you find the sweet spot because when customers buy a product they obviously have done that for a while they know so-called the value that they get but now as you shift and go you don't have to buy the product they just pay for the outcome how do you solve for that andrea how do you find that sweet spot with customers to price it correctly well i think it's a very very long journey at the end of the day uh, because in uh, most of the cases uh, you need to take care of uh, the customer that you engage in this um when it comes to understand exactly the value that you would be able to offer you need to secure that you are talking with uh, a customer uh, uh, what you have a very good uh, uh, relationship with uh, and that you would be able to really touch upon uh, their uh, uh, problems uh, because it's very hard sometimes uh, especially when you don't have uh, an extensive and fully proven installed base to convey the value uh, to to customer because they are always looking for a copy and paste. So it means that if my neighbor is using that technology and is uh, successful, then I will buy in. It's very hard to find nowadays uh, a lot of front runner uh, into uh, technologies uh, because we know that uh, especially in the fields where uh, I am working, we have a lot of uh, conservative customer but that being said i think is the capability that we have uh, in order to translate uh, uh, and uh, uh, talk the same language as our customer uh, it's a paradigm so our uh, uh, sales colleague for example is extremely important that they would be able to convey uh, a clear message to our customer and let them understand exactly what is the value uh, of a specific uh, solution, which goes beyond the talking about the natural, uh, let's say, technical specification, because here we are talking about, uh, uh, as we said in the beginning, uh, value-based. Uh, so it means that uh, if, for example, we are talking about the downtime of a machine, we should be able to evaluate what is the amount uh, of uh, uh, money involved into having a decanter stop for a couple of days into a specific uh, uh, production plant and then tell the customer look if you are buying into this solution we would be able to secure that this will not happen and the cost for it is uh, uh, minimal compared to the cost of the failure that you would have faced otherwise so um, i think it's definitely important that you capture the right uh, a uh, customer in the first place that would be able to uh, give you uh, the information, be open to uh, understand exactly where you are pointing at and then create a proper value proposition because this has to be extremely clear for a uh, customer, especially if they are not into the IT journey or digital transformation the way that you want to call it uh, already, uh, because that is definitely uh, an important uh, component of uh, uh, the, the value-based selling. No, I understand that. I think you mentioned that already, but we are also dealing with an industry 
which is fairly conservative. There is also a knowledge gap, you could say, if you compare to software companies or internet-born companies who started at a start at a given time where it's been natural in terms of how you deploy services, how you consume services, and how you basically price for uh, certain consumption patterns. I think industrial players are coming along, but we're dealing with a longer and potentially slower cycle where the examples that I've seen that are very successful are the ones that are able to simultaneously experiment and test, meaning you have your longstanding relationship and the way that you sold and supported, and then you start to test on the side, if I may call it that. And as you build more confidence, you then shift more and more of the business over to the new business model. I think it's a definitely a good comment. Let me ask you one uh, final question when it comes to customer value and so on, and that's related to sustainability. How does this transmission that you guys do attach to sustainability, both for you at Alpha Laval as well as for the customers? Well, I think uh, uh, sustainability overall uh, is uh, one of uh, the key drivers that is embedded uh, into the digital transformation journey, because at the end of the day, uh, we would be able to create a lot of efficiencies, not only internally, but uh, as well for uh, the end customer. So it becomes uh, uh, extremely important to try to navigate more and more uh, into the knowledge and understanding of uh, uh, what sustainability is for the customer and for us as a company. Uh, if you imagine one of the solutions that we have uh, when we talk about uh, uh, remote troubleshooting, here, um, I mean, it's extremely clear that sustainability is key because uh, we will be able to uh, support our customer without the need of having a field service engineer uh, to go on site and physically inspect the machine. Hence, uh, you avoid the taking a flight or taking a car. Uh, so there's a lot of CO2 emission uh, that will be saved. And this is definitely shared with the customer because then when you look upon a scope one, two, and three, it's definitely a journey where uh, we and the customer are uh, together. So my, my clear message is that the sustainability is uh, a, a paradigm uh, into the digital transformation journey that uh, we are facing. Yeah, there are multiple benefits uh, to when we move towards these digitalized solutions and services. There is uh, one good example that I was part of as well, a company named Grundfos, maybe a company that you know. Uh, it's I'm pretty intrigued by the journey that they've done because of how they describe their machines being born connected with a soft sim basically in these water purifiers that they have and how it allows just more robust construction when they build in these water purifiers, which in itself goes back to the actual definition of sustainability, meaning that the machine can sustain for much longer than it can because of the fact that you don't have to open it up, you don't have to add more modules for the connectivity and so on. I think it's a, it's an interesting angle that one can find many benefits. Okay, let's jump a bit more into the operational side of things. So the first question I have for you is, what kind of KPIs do you track, keep track of when it comes to seeing how your digital transformation is progressing? 
Yeah, so to go back to one of the examples that I made before around sustainability, if we look upon, uh, again, this uh, uh, capability that we have uh, uh, to perform uh, remote troubleshooting, uh, then, of course, this uh, uh, becomes one of the key uh, metrics that we use. Because at the end of the day, if we would be able to offer more and more of this session online or uh, remotely, uh, then, of course, uh, the expectation is that uh, this uh, will increase uh, uh, over time and will give us uh, the uh, capability to understand uh, if we are uh, uh, ahead of schedule or uh, behind schedule into our digital transformation journey. And this is only one of the key metrics that we use because there are several other uh, in uh, place. And in particular, when it comes to metrics for measuring data quality, is that something that you work with and how do you track that? So when it comes to data quality, uh, we have a specific team in Alfa Laval that is responsible for that. Uh, and uh, at the moment, uh, we are uh, gearing up to reinforce even more uh, um, all the activities related to, to data quality. So uh, I think it's a journey uh, as the entire digital transformation and is one of the key pillars of, uh, of this. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of your biggest challenges. So a bit more of a rapid fire mode. I'm going to ask you a series of questions here underneath. So the first one is if we start from a technical and data acquisition standpoint, and that takes us all the way back to how you describe your solutions. What has been your biggest challenge or challenges with regards to that? I would say uh, that nowadays we are seeing a situation where more and more customers are, uh, uh, let's say, keen to... Um, I would say maintain data as uh, their own property. So even the data sharing becomes sometimes a little bit more uh, uh, problematic uh, because then uh, the discussion lands on uh, who on what. Uh, but then on the other end, uh, I think another important, uh, uh, I would say, aspect that we need to consider about uh, this uh, wonderful journey is the fact that uh, um, the cybersecurity threat that everyone talks every day, every hour, every minute, uh, uh, which, of course, we have some uh, uh, very important cases happening uh, uh, globally, uh, definitely is uh, in the ear of everyone. So sometimes you might face customers where basically they are not, they want to have a digital solution, but they are not open to have uh, a device connected uh, in their site because they are scared of uh, basically opening uh, a door. Yep. Which might create absolutely. specific Absolutely. Threat, no, absolutely. I think... Cybersecurity is something that is has always been on top of our agenda from a digital route perspective, of course, being a company that works with data management and specifically with usage and customer data. But we've certainly seen in the last two years that it's going rampantly up. In part, I think it's because of the maturity of industries and business more and more coming closer to providing as a service subscription services, then it becomes high on their agenda but in part for sure because of the incidents. Personally, I believe that we're only going to see more and more of these. That's very natural as businesses move more towards being digitalized or online-based. Of course, the threats increase. But that's also why it's important to kind of work with the right kind of partners that are fortified in the right way naturally. But let me ask you another question. How many systems and sources of data are you dealing with? Do you have a sense of that? Because this is typically a hugely complicated area where it's like a myriad of systems. 
Well, I would say that I'm not able to uh, give a number right now, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, I can tell you that we are talking about uh, several uh, sources uh, because uh, you might consider from the product standpoint uh, that we deal with a lot of different sensors. So uh, every sensor might have uh, several uh, data points uh, embedded in it. Uh, but then you can consider as well business data, which are extremely critical yeah. to build up uh, additional knowledge and to uh, basically uh, give the, the additional value uh, on a solution. And here we are talking about uh, ERP data, we are talking about uh, CRM data. So there are several sources that uh, we try to consolidate together uh, and uh, analyze simultaneously. How do you specifically work with the automation and efficiency of usage data? And potentially, if you also have your views in terms of quality assurance, enrichment, management. But the first part of the question is? I would say uh, that, uh, generally speaking, we try to create a future where we become less and less dependent on human, uh, not to the extent that we want to eliminate uh, our uh, uh, colleague from the picture, uh, but it's more to secure that we can generate efficiencies and uh, focus the time of uh, our uh, people into more value-added uh, activities. So to give you one example, uh, let's say that I have uh, a field service engineer that is currently running on a week base uh, to uh, three customers if uh, uh, I am in uh, the best case scenario. Uh, having a digital solution with an automatized uh, uh, bot, for example, that would be able to give the first uh, line of defense, uh, that will definitely create the opportunity to focus the attention on this person to do the second line of defense, maybe uh, follow up with uh, much more customer along the week and provide as well a better life for this person because then he will not need to travel uh, and maybe take a 12-hour flight to a customer site. So we try to balance this uh, and give the opportunity to our people to become more skilled in this front, uh, but as well to have a better life and uh, to, to optimize uh, uh, the, the capabilities that we have uh, to work with our customer. Machine learning and artificial intelligence is very hot right now, more so than ever, really. How do you expect it to impact the data management side of subscription services? I think it will definitely have uh, an important uh, role. Uh, I see that uh, it's not something that will become, uh, let's say, in the medium term, uh, like uh, a game changer, because at the end of the day, when you look upon industrial uh, manufacturer, uh, of course, depending on the maturity of the company, we are still facing basically uh, uh, I would say discussion about uh, where do we need to focus our attention on the base business or try to work on innovation on the uh, more IoT or, or digital side. And because we are not uh, uh, software-driven companies, uh, but we still have a base business to maintain, uh, we can dedicate up to a certain amount of time into this journey. So it's going to be definitely an important component. Uh, it's going to help us a lot, especially when it comes to mature uh, our portfolio and to work with several customers. Because when you have an install base uh, of a uh, thousand machine, for example, uh, that will become connected, it cannot be one person 
monitoring all this equipment. You need to rely on uh, a solid uh, uh, machine learning solution uh, that will be able to support you in uh, building uh, a stronger and stronger uh, solution for the customer. So uh, that's the impact that I foresee uh, for, uh, for the future. How big of a challenge has internal alignment been at Alpha Laval throughout your journey so far when it comes to shifting your business model? I would say, uh, and again, I take it from the personal perspective rather than uh, uh, the official uh, of um, corporate answer, but uh, uh, in general, when you need to deal with the digital transformation and not being, as we said, a software company, uh, there's always uh, an important shift uh, uh, between uh, the way that you do business uh, and the way that you would expect to do business. And this is not only related to the way that you develop the solution because the cycle becomes uh, uh, shorter and shorter. Uh, so if you imagine, uh, for example, a digital solution, you can create a line of code deployed uh, and, and test it uh, within the market in, let's say, six months, get some, some learning in a couple of months, and then you can go back to square zero and decide if you want to launch it fully or, or uh, review it. Um, but then uh, you need to cope with the organization that are uh, uh, basically created to work with a uh, uh, piece of steel, uh, mechanical uh, equipment, and uh, they are tied to processes and logic uh, that are uh, not, let's say, uh, always close to agility. Uh, first of all, uh, and you might have a sales force as well uh, that sometimes uh, need to uh, integrate a bit their way of uh, presenting solution. So if they are very tired to describe uh, uh, a decanter from uh, the perspective of uh, specifying some uh, technical detail around, okay, uh, the performance of the machine, the output of, of the machine, then you are simply asking them to talk with the customer in a totally different manner. And... Uh, is not always simple and you need to work a lot on training and understanding on uh, uh, the best practice uh, that might come from a totally different industry. So it's a very long journey, I would say. And I'm not saying that in Alfa Laval we lack alignment. I think it's the overall picture uh, related to the shift between uh, uh, transactional business uh, and uh, subscription-based model that includes a lot of uh, step in order to make it live uh, and, uh, and scale it up. Absolutely. I think it's a very important point you're raising that we spent a significant portion of time of our discussion with regards to customers, processes and tools and so on, data gathering, data management, usage data, etc. But the cultural aspect and the organization behind it is, I would argue, an equally big challenge because especially for those companies who've been around, it's the classic saying of the muscle that you built that took you here could also be a challenge as you're shifting because there will be friction. So uh, managing the internal side is extremely important. In fact, I wanted to ask you a follow-up question in light of that, because when you shift your business towards more of a digital version, there are lots of tools, processes that you've already exemplified that you're working with and you need to do more of. There are tons of purpose-built, let's say best-in-class software that exists outside of a, a company. While I observe that especially incumbents, if I may say so, have a tendency to go, no, we will build it ourselves. What's your view on this? Should one be open-minded and go for the best-in-class purpose-built tools and software, or should companies still maintain their own kind of homegrown 
systems and solutions build it themselves basically I think it's a very good question and uh, I would not be able to give you a straight answer to the extent that we say this is the best practice. What I have experienced uh, in uh, uh, my, uh, I would say, ages <laughs> in uh, the digital transformation, um, I think it's always important to find a compromise that suits the speed that the company would like to have. So if you look upon a, a company that is simply looking to get uh, as quick as possible uh, into the market uh, with something that uh, would give them the, the first kick or the first step to understand how the journey works, uh, it's always good to partner uh, with someone that has already experienced. Maybe they don't have uh, the uh, know-how that the company would be able to provide, but they, they can uh, provide an enabler to you. And then you can add your know-how on top. On the other hand, uh, it's important as well that if you have a more long-term, uh, I would say, scenario that you are dealing with, uh, building something on your own, I would not say that is the best practice uh, because, as we said, we are an industrial manufacturer. So on the IT side, uh, uh, we might not be strong as an IT company. Uh, but still it's important to maintain uh, in-house uh, a certain amount of uh, uh, know-how and ownership. Uh, and I would say it really depends on the company uh, and uh, the, the strategy that uh, they have in place. Uh, and then you can find uh, uh, the best approach to it. Yeah, I think that's a pragmatic uh, answer, Andrea. If I may just add my own two pieces of thoughts building on yours is it's important to make sure that you grab a hold of tools, software that can harmonize and dock in with your existing environment, especially if you're sitting on a big portion of business installed base that you've had since many, many years, because you want to maintain without disturbing that. At the same time, you need that flexibility so that, for example, a business initiative like yours have the freedom to be able to explore, to be able to drive innovation. And that combination is actually very, very hard. But there are obviously tools out there that can do that. One thing that I've noticed myself is some businesses, especially the, let's say, the bigger and prouder an organization gets, the more it is that, but we can do this too. Unfortunately, to your own point, it's not where the companies have their primary strengths. And competing with an IT player, a software player, obviously, creates problems down the road. In fact, sooner than you might think. So we have tons of examples where companies are just outstanding at what they do, but then their subscription initiative starts to suffer for very simple reasons, such as they just don't have the competence or their data management processes turn out to be quite cumbersome and inefficient. And then it slows down the innovation drive, such as a person like you have, Andrea. All right, so let me round it off with just a few last questions for you. We talked a lot about the customers. Have you perceived the communication and introduction of subscription services at all being a challenge or have they all just embraced it with open arms? This is fantastic and they see the value. 
Uh, well, uh, it would be a great scenario in which customer always accept what uh, the industrial manufacturer uh, simply offer to them. Um, so I will not say that uh, that this is the case. Of course, we had the challenges uh, around the understanding of why do they need to uh, move uh, uh, beyond uh, the, the transactional business. But I think there is an important component uh, which... I would imagine several manufacturers are considering. At the end of the day, what you want to secure is to have the business today and the business tomorrow. Uh, so um, there are, we call it service agreement. Uh, so it, a framework for which you try to lock the customer into a long-standing relationship, uh, trying to offer, uh, I would say, as much as possible value that they can keep choosing uh, your company. And this is the way that we try to package uh, the, the subscription-based model because that's the only way to secure that they would be able to accept uh, a multi-year contract. Otherwise, if you try to say, uh, I'm going to run with a subscription-based model that I will charge you every month, it's only going to be problematic because the first thing that they will say is that, uh, why do I need to have one person from my end handling an invoice to you to pay uh, this. It becomes more administration rather than optimization and efficiency. So of course there are challenges uh, and not every customer is happy with it, but that is where I think it kicks in uh, the uh, capability from uh, the, the manufacturer to decide, okay, should we simply try to back off from transactional business and work only on subscription or should we try to be flexible? And that is where I think it's always important to uh, keep an eye on and, of course, to try to evolve along the way, depending on uh, the, the, the customer needs. Because we cannot pretend that we would be able to offer since day one the perfect solution where they will always buy it. Knowing what you know now, today, what will be your key advice for somebody who wants to embark on a similar journey like you've done? Well, there are several uh, lessons learned that uh, came out of the fact that uh, at the end of the day, we need always, uh, I believe, uh, uh, to dare to fail. Um, and here I'm talking about uh, uh, whatever uh, situation in which you present even a simple piece of paper to the customer and they say, look, I don't like it, go back uh, to your office and try to uh, evaluate something different for us. So I think this approach is the best way to deal with uh, uh, such a transformation. Uh, then I would say it's really important to understand since the beginning what are the capabilities that you have in-house and what is uh, to be outsourced. Because at the end of the day, we always try to start from an angle where we say, yeah, 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 it's very easy. We just need to connect uh, and put a pipeline of data in place and then the magic uh, uh, will happen. That's not true because there's a lot of uh, ancillaries, uh, uh, processes and people uh, uh, that have to be, uh, I would say, included into this. So I think it's extremely important to have a clear idea and, and a plan uh, moving forward uh, uh, if someone would like to start this journey. Then another important aspect would be that uh, we need to come to a point where we try to uh, use partner more and more to work uh, on ecosystem because at the end of the day, our customer, they don't want to get a different portal. 
uh, they want to have one single place where they can uh, uh, get access to uh, their machine uh, seamlessly if it is Alpha Laval, if it is whatever other uh, OEM. Uh, so we need to understand what are the, uh, I would say, the, the best approach when it comes to communicate with the machine and so on. And again, the partner side is extremely important because sometimes you cannot get up to speed without uh, an external support. And maybe your partner can gain something from you as well. Um, and then finally, I think it's extremely important uh, that you have uh, in mind uh, uh, your, uh, uh, I would say, resources, uh, uh, capabilities, um, because at the end of the day, we can talk about uh, driving a digital transformation, but we need to have an idea on what is the budget uh, that we are considering, what is the investment uh, and uh, the, the payback time that uh, we are uh, looking at. If you initiate something so massive uh, with the extent of saying, okay, I will invest the first, uh, uh, I don't know, uh, million, and then let's see how it is, uh, uh, I don't think that this is going to work. It has to be a longer plan where it's very clear uh, the, the, the capabilities uh, and there will be a lot of investment to do upfront. Uh, because otherwise it will be almost impossible to start up this journey. Right. Andrea, it's been a great pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks to you, Bedat. It was a pleasure for me as well. And uh, thanks to everyone that uh, is listening to this podcast. Yeah, thank you so much, everybody listening, and see you uh, at the next episode.